The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah, chapter 49, reading verses 13 to 23. The Lord's mercy. Tell the heavens and the earth to celebrate and sing. Command every mountain to join in the song. The Lord's people have suffered, but he has shown mercy and given them comfort. The people of Zion said, The Lord has turned away and forgotten us. The Lord answered, Could a mother forget a child who nurses at her breast? Could she fail to love an infant who came from her own body? Even if a mother could forget, I will never forget you. A picture of your city is drawn on my hand. You are always in my thoughts. Your city will be built faster than it was destroyed. Those who attacked it will retreat and leave. Look around. You will see your people coming home. As surely as I live, I, the Lord, promise that with your city, with its people, will be as lovely as a bride wearing her jewellery. Jerusalem is now in ruins. Nothing is left of the city, but it will be rebuilt and soon overcrowded. Its cruel enemies will be gone far away. Jerusalem is a woman whose children were born while she was in deep sorrow over the loss of her husband. Now those children will come and seek room in the crowded city. And Jerusalem will ask, Am I really their mother? How could I have given birth when I was still mourning in a foreign land? Who raised these children? Where have they come from? The Lord God says, I will soon give a signal for the nations to return your sons and your daughters to the arms of Jerusalem. The kings and queens of those nations where they were raised, will come and bow down. They will take care of you just like a slave taking care of a child. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You won't be disappointed if you trust me. In our prayers, Rosalie mentioned how depression is on the increase in the Daily Telegraph last week, it spoke about how more and more children are being diagnosed with depression, some of them as young as the age of five. Apparently in the UK, some 80,000 children have depression. 8,000 of them are primary school age, and the numbers are increasing all the time. If you go to the opposite end of the age spectrum, the statistics are just as disturbing. One in five older people suffer from depression. And that statistics doubles to two in five for those living in care homes. All in all, combined anxiety and depression is the most common form of mental illness in the UK. Although we have plenty to keep us comfortable in material terms, the pressures of living in the UK are very hard for people to cope with. Those who suffer from depression undergo persistent feelings of sadness, loneliness, despair, 
and low self-esteem for periods of weeks, months, longer at a time. It is emphatically not the kind of thing you can just snap out of or pick yourself up from. It is emotionally paralysing. It's been said that being depressed feels as if you are drowning while everybody else else around you is breathing fine. And you can see that. In that passage from Isaiah 49, God speaks words of hope to Zion, the city of Jerusalem, as if talking to a woman lost in the depths of depression because her husband has walked out on her, taking her children with him. And in a real sense, that is precisely what had happened. Jerusalem, abandoned by the Lord, her children sent into exile, leaving the city in ruins. Isaiah uses the picture of a woman deserted and forsaken as as a picture of the desolation of a conquered city. For our part, as we picture the destruction wreaked on a city by an invading army, we catch a glimpse of the emotional devastation caused by depression. The two images inform each other. And Zion, in this passage, is like the person who feels as if she's drowning while everybody else around her is able to breathe without problems. The heavens are shouting for joy. The earth is rejoicing. The mountains are all breaking into song because the Lord is comforting his people and pouring out his compassion on those who are so deeply troubled and afflicted. Everybody is thinking it's fantastic except Zion. Except Jerusalem. For the one who is the object of all this tender love and compassion It is too little, too late. The depths of her depression seem to remain untouched and unstirred by the love of God. It's as if she can't feel anything at all. There's been just complete emotional shutdown. And although God is at her side full of love and compassion, she can't see it, she can't feel it, she can't accept it. And it's as if she's saying over and over, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. It's become like a mantra going over and over in her mind, above which God's voice cannot be heard. And that can be one of the more insidious effects of depression. You feel worthless, forsaken unloved, even unlovable. Even if in in moments of lucidity you know that isn't true, you know that there are people who love you. In moments of clarity you know that there is something to live for, that life is worthwhile. When you are in the depths of depression, the only reality is how you feel. And how you feel is controlled by the depression at those moments in time. It's a grim place to be. And while I'm preaching this sermon in the hope and the prayer that if you're struggling with this, this sermon may be of some help to you. If you are suffering from depression and you haven't been to see a doctor, go and see a doctor, because the sermon is no substitute for that. But Zion is depressed, and with good reason, because she's been abandoned and forsaken and left alone. Her children have been taken away, 
And the only people around her now are those who've caused her ruin. And for her, at this precise moment in time, it seems there is no way back, no way up, no way out. Because the Lord, who was the only one who could possibly have saved or rescued her, has left. The only thing she can think at this point in time is that God doesn't care. He's moved on, he's forgotten her. And even though right now God is trying to get in touch, even though God is trying to connect again, she has shut herself away in her grief. And when the phone rings, she won't pick it up and answer to see who's there. So God says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she's born? Telling words for Jerusalem at that time because that was the cause of her grief, the sense of bereavement at the loss of her children. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she's born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you, says the Lord. This week we've seen in the news two truly awful incidents where mothers have neglected or abused or killed their children. Rebecca Shuttleworth, serving a life sentence for beating her two-year-old toddler, Keanu Williams, to death. In Bradford, Amanda Hutton, sentenced 15 years for the manslaughter of her four-year-old son, who starved to death and whose mummified body was found in his cot two years later. Found guilty of causing his death by gross negligence. Though she claims she held him in her arms all night after he died, for most of it is still incomprehensible how a mother could neglect her child to that extent. Even threatening to kill her other children if they went to the police about it. The bond between mother and child should be one of the strongest ties of love. That's why it's such an aberration if that breaks down. Yet that is precisely why God uses this as the greatest measure imaginable of his own love for his people. Yes, there may even be terrible isolated incidents where a mother forgets or abandons her own child, but God could not and would not ever do that for his people. Look, he says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. How could I ever forget you? How could you ever think you mean nothing to me? Look at the palm of your own hand for a moment. Your hand is unique to you. Biometric systems can use handprints as one of the tests for establishing your identity. They're part of who you are. Nobody else has the same handprint as you do. Whether your hands are rough or smooth, say a lot about the kind of work that you do. When I look at my hand, I see scars from the past. I see the mark left by a deep incision from the standing knife blade when I was a boy. I see the scar left by the tear that was caused by trying to pick up an old boiler. My hands are unique and personal to me, as yours are to you. God says to Zion, I've carved, I've inscribed, I've engraved your name on the palm of my hand. Your identity is bound up with mine. And this is no notes to self scribbled on the skin with a ballpoint pen. 
We're talking about incisions here. Cuts that draw blood and leave scars. Always there. Always, always, always Zion's name is there for God to read. So God can't forget if the unthinkable would happen and God's mind were wiped blank, the name would be there. Next time he washed his face. Zion. Think about the pain involved in that as well. Not just in the process of having the name engraved there, but afterwards, pretty much any task you perform is done with the hand. You pick things up, you grip things, you use them to eat, to wash, to get dressed, to work, to write. With wounded hands, you can't do that without it hurting. It's perhaps a graphic way of God letting his people know that he bears and shares their pain. And for us as Christians, of course, it's almost inevitable that when we think of God writing the name of his people on his hands, we should think of Jesus on the cross. Because his hands were pierced with nails for us there. You might think that's a bit fanciful. Those who studied anatomy argued that the nails that held Jesus to the cross must have gone through the wrist because the palm of the hand wouldn't be strong enough to support the weight of the body. Maybe so. The New Testament talks about the marks in his hands. Maybe he was tied to the cross with ropes and nailed through the hand. We don't know, but some people, it seems, were fastened to the cross that way. But those are the wounds of love. The nail marks in his hands speak as eloquently of his love for us as that image of God having our name engraved on his hands. However we may feel in our depression, however far away from God we may feel, the cross of Jesus is clear evidence of God's love for us. However low down we may have gone, Jesus has been that low. To the lowest place of desolation and despair and suffering and death. We cannot go lower than he has been for us already. It's because he loved us that Jesus went to the cross. And there, as the nails held his body in place, he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. The cross is the ultimate sign of God's loving commitment to you. Because Jesus' hands bear the scars of the nail marks for eternity. And in that respect, the love of God for us is stronger than our depression. Though we may feel that our depression may last forever, it will not. But the love of God for you will and does. While we may feel too far away from God at some points to feel any evidence of his love for us in our hearts, the wounds in Jesus' hands which are there remind us of God's promise that he has engraved our names on the palm of his hands and he will never forget you or abandon you or let you go. Isaiah goes on to picture the miraculous restoration of Zion. Those who laid her waste are gone. Their place 
taken by her children who come running back, while those who are too small to run are carried on the shoulders or in the arms of the nations. Zion can't believe how many of them there are as they all gather round. The house she's lived in all alone is far too small. She can't accommodate them all. We need a bigger place for us all to live in, they say. Zion is dumbfounded. Where, where did all these come from? I, I was bereaved. I was barren. I was exiled, rejected, left all alone. Who bore me these? Who brought them up? Some of these children had been born during Zion's bereavement, but it was as if she'd been too wrapped up in her sorrows and loss even to realise what was going on. Out of touch with the love of God, she'd lost touch with reality to that extent. Yet the impossible has happened. The woman who was abandoned and forsaken, deserted by her children and left in the depths of despair, is reunited with her family and at last is able to see and accept and welcome the love and the compassion and the comfort that God has always, always carried in his heart for her. There were just times when she couldn't see it. And for those of us here tonight, or maybe listening to the podcast, you need to know that God has engraved your name on the palm of his hands. And it cannot ever be removed from there. And there will be times when you feel forsaken, desolate and rejected, and you may have very good reasons for feeling that way. But recognise that these feelings are not permanent. Your state of mind will change. What is permanent is God's unfailing love for you. Wait for the day when you feel yourself lifted up by him again. When you can see that he is the Lord, that your hope in him has been worthwhile. Recognise that even in those times when it felt as if there was nothing there, he never abandoned you. The day will come when you'll see those around you rejoicing and that sight won't reinforce your feeling of isolation and being cut off. But the knowledge of God's love for you will enable you to share in their joy again. Because it will be in your own heart again. And it's in God's heart to do this for you, to bring you to this point. Because you belong to him. And he loves you more than you can ever know or understand. Look, says Jesus, I have engraved your name in the palm of my hand. Let's pray. Lord, at times when it feels that we have lost our grip on you, would you never let go of us? When we cannot see you, help us to trust that you never take your eyes off of us. 
when your love is but a distant memory. May we know that you've engraved our name on the palm of your hand. Be with those in the darkness of depression. Hold them fast. Keep them safe. Walk with them every step of the way. Guide them towards the light of the knowledge of your eternal love for them. May your grace always be sufficient. In Jesus' name. Amen.